Psalms 122, Psalms 122. Before we start reading, look around you. If there is a friend or a neighbor who doesn't have a Bible or doesn't have a King James Version of the Bible, would you be kind enough to share your Bible with them to make sure they're in the right passage tonight? And we're going to have a wonderful time looking at Psalms 122 tonight. Psalms 122. Say amen if you're there. Okay. Psalms 122. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Aren't you glad somebody told you to go to church? Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad for the first time someone invited you to come to church? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Amen? Amen? I was glad. I was rejoicing when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know what they're saying there? Don't go to God's house by yourself. Bring somebody to church with you. Amen? Let us go into the house of the Lord. Then he said, our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are, th are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David." Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say peace within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. I call your attention to verse 1. David is excited about the fact that he went to the house of the Lord. Reminded of a story of an elderly lady who was amazed how a young man about 15, 16 years of age that lived next door to her was just so nice to her. She noticed this young man. He was an unusual teenager. He, wasn't, he was dressed appropriately, and uh, he just did things to help her out. He cleaned up her yard. He did her, he did her lawn. He trimmed her hedges. He did this all voluntarily. Every now and then, if he had time, he would just slap some paint on her front porch and help her out there. He'd help her with her groceries and just a number of things this young man did. And, and so one day, she just went up to him, and she was beaming with a smile, and she said, young man, she said, how did, such, how did you become such a fine young man? How did you get to be just like that? You're just so proactive in helping people and doing things. And he said this. This is what he said. He said, well, when I was a boy, I had a drug problem. And she kind of went like, a drug problem? What do you mean you had a drug problem? He said, yeah, it was like this. He says, it's true. My parents drugged me to church on Sunday morning, drugged me to church on Sunday night, and drugged me to church on Wednesday night. Amen? Now, if you're going to have a drug problem, I think that's a good problem to have. Amen? You know? And tonight we're not talking about people who got drugged to church. I think everybody here tonight, you came voluntarily. You came because you love God. Amen? I think you embodied the message of what the uh, psalmist said here. When I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house, Lord. And tonight I don't want anybody feeling like you got compelled to come to church except by one person, by the Holy Spirit of God. You came because you love the Lord. You want God to do a great work in your hearts. Tonight, we want to look at this subject for just a few minutes, the house of the Lord. Now, Father, tonight we're thankful for a wonderful day in the Lord's house. We thank you for people saved today and people saved this week. Thank you, good report. People saved yesterday out in soul winning and follow-up opportunities we have with that. Thank you for returning uh, folks that came, uh, returning visitors who came. And thank you for friends here tonight. And Lord, just how you build your church, we're just thankful from all over the Bay Area you bring people here to this church, and we're just thankful for that. Now tonight, Lord, this is your people. They're the sheep of your pasture. You're the chief shepherd and bishop of our souls. And tonight we look to you as our great shepherd to feed our soul, to speak to our hearts. Lord, to take a step upwards, to do as this theme of we're, as we're going through Psalms 120 to 134, going higher in the Lord. Tonight, prepare our hearts as we look at the subject of the house of the Lord and speak to our hearts about things we're familiar with and things perhaps some of us will learn for the very first time. As we learn these things about the church, endear our hearts to the local church. Lord, help us to find security and comfort and grace and help and love in the house of God. Father, deliver us tonight that we don't have a critical spirit about the house of God. God, deliver us tonight that we don't look for cracks where there are no cracks and problems where there are no problems. But Lord, we rejoice in the fact that this is the house of the living God. This is the pillar and the ground of truth. This is the bride of Christ. 
and the body of, of Jesus Christ tonight. And we're praying that because it's his body and his blood and, and his bride and his building that tonight that we'll glorify and please you. Prepare our hearts, Lord, for the Lord's Supper tonight. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Psalms 120 to 134 are called the Songs of Degrees or the Psalms of Ascent. These psalms were, were repeated by, uh, were, were rehearsed by the, the Jews when they came back to Jerusalem three times a year. There were three different feasts they were commanded to go to. You read this over, I believe, over in Deuteronomy chapter 16. And they were told to come at the, at the feast of the Passover, the feast of Pentecost, and at the feast of the Tabernacles. And as they made their way on the ascent up to Jerusalem, they, they would repeat these psalms. These Jews memorized these psalms and they would memorize, they would repeat these psalms they were making their way up to the city of Jerusalem, the beloved city. Uh, the, the priests, when they ascended up to the temple, they walked up the temple steps. As they got to each step, they would stop on each step and they would, they would repeat the psalm. They would repeat it from memory there. So you can imagine Psalms 120, the, the priest would get to the first step and he would get to that uh, Psalms 120. Notice verse 1 there. In Psalms 120 verse 1, he says something like this. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. In Psalms 120, we find this is a psalm, a cry of despair because the psalmist felt like he was in the tents of Kedar and in the city of Mesek and those are representations of being in a place of darkness in his life and how he prayed and sought God's help and he stopped there and he said, you know, I'm going to make this first ascent. I'm going to go in step number one and step number one, I'm going to cry out to the Lord. But he didn't stop there. He said, I'm going higher and going higher. He got to step number two and step number two we saw last week where, or two weeks ago in Psalms 121 where the psalmist said, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. The psalmist just decided as well as the priest, I'm going higher. You know what? I've got some trouble and I've got some problems, but I'm not going to get my eyes on myself and I'm not going to get my eyes on solutions that are not there. I'm going to get my eyes on the Lord. By the way, tonight, if you've got your eyes anywhere other than God, get your eyes on Jesus tonight. Amen. I will get my eyes unto the Lord from whence cometh my help. He's on step number two, but tonight we're in step number three. And here, as you can imagine, the psalmist or the priest, he's climbing upwards. He's going to get up to all these stairs and he's quoting the psalm. The psalm number one, he's talking about his problems and he's praying to God and psalm, the, psalm, the second psalm here, Psalm 121, he said, I'm going to get my eyes unto the Lord. But psalm number three, man, as he's about to send and put that, third, that step up there and that third step there, he's excited because he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He's saying, listen, I'm going higher because I'm going to the house of God. And when you go to the house of God, there's the place where you meet with God, where God meets with his people and the people of God meet with God. That's where the word of God is lifted up and Jesus is preached. And that's the place where we praise God for souls being saved and baptisms occurring and the growth of the church and the building up of the people of God. I mean, he's excited. He says, listen, I'm not going backwards and I'm not going down. I'm going higher. And listen, tonight we're going higher in Jesus Christ because we're going to the house of God tonight. And so tonight we see some things this evening about this psalmist here. We see Psalms 122, what we just read. It's an encouraging psalm. It's a psalm that leads us to prayer. It's a psalm of celebration and exhortation. It's a psalm that touches our heart. When it comes to the house of God, our theme and our heart's cry should be, I'm going higher because I'm going to the house of God. I want you to see some things tonight about the house of the Lord. David said, I was glad when they sent unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Number one, would you write this down tonight? The house of the Lord, where we, the house of the Lord is a place of our rejoicing. The house of the Lord is the place of our rejoicing. David said, I was glad. I said this morning that the word for glad, both in the Hebrew as well as in the Greek, is also translated the word rejoice, rejoicing. Actually, it's translated more rejoice and rejoicing than it is for glad. David said, I was glad. David said, I was rejoicing. I will rejoice. Uh, it has the idea of being happy beyond description. It has the idea of having a celebrative spirit of worship. It means, as the psalmist would write about, his cup was overflowing with joy. I wonder tonight, are you rejoicing tonight because you're in the house of the Lord? Are you rejoicing that you got to come to church today? Amen. Are you rejoicing when the doors of God's house are open and we get to come to God's house? Listen, it's a joy for us to come to God's house. Listen to what the Bible says when it uses the word glad to describe God's church. In John 20, 20, at the inauguration of the first Sunday evening service, because it was on the day that the Lord Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, and he came through those doors and met with those disciples who were meeting in fear. The Bible says in John 20, 20, and when he had said so... 
He showed unto them his hands and his side. And then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. In Acts chapter 2 verse 41, we read on that day of Pentecost, when 3,000 hardened Jews received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, this is what the Bible describes. Then they that gladly received his word, they were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I'm thankful for the fact that with gladness they received the word of God. With gladness they accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. How many glad tonight that you're saved? Amen? How many glad tonight Jesus is in your heart? You ought to be glad about that. Amen? If you're walking around with a sad face, you're walking around discouraged and depressed, I want to tell you tonight, you need to get that sad face out. You need to spit that lemon out of your mouth, and you need to get Jesus in your mouth and not the lemon, amen? You need to get excited about the Lord Jesus Christ, get some sweetness inside of you today. So we see tonight, there are people that were glad they received Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 46, we see the purposes of the church, and Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness heart. Listen, not only did they, did they have church, but they had meals at church, and they fellowshiped at church, and as they looked forward to the time of sitting at a table together rejoicing in the Lord and breaking their meat with gladness. Acts eleven twenty three. now we go from the church of Jerusalem to the church at Antioch and God was doing some great things there. Some men got saved down there at Jerusalem and men of Cyprus and Serene and they went there to the city of Antioch. Now Antioch was the capital of Syria and as far as the Roman, Roman Empire was concerned, it was one of the larger cities of the Roman Empire and God established a church. I mean these laymen got there and started this church there. They were commissioned out of the church of Jerusalem. They got it going and word came back to the church of Jerusalem. Hey, this thing needs to get organized here, and you've got to send some leadership. And they took their best man they felt that could stabilize that work and continue the momentum. And they sent a man by the name of Barnabas there, the son of consolation. They needed encouragement. And the Bible says there when Barnabas got there that God was doing some great things. And notice Barnabas' heart when he saw what God was doing in Acts eleven twenty three. It says, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. Hey, aren't you glad today people got saved today? Aren't you glad today that some, some children got saved at, at uh, kids camp. And aren't you glad today we had some adults that got saved at kids camp and they were here in church this morning. And aren't you glad today that throughout this year we're seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. The Bible says when Barnabas got there to Antioch, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave to the Lord. Listen, the priests and the Levites as they ascended up that, those steps, they got to that third step there. And they said, let's go to the house of God. They looked behind them at all the people of God that were waiting to see them go up. They said, let's go to the house of God. David, as he ascended those steps, as the ark of God was being was brought back to the city of Jerusalem, he said, let's go to the house of God. Listen, tonight, we should be glad to go to the house of the Lord because this is the place where God is worshipped. We should be glad to go to the house of the Lord because this is where Jesus Christ is lifted up and Jesus is preached. Listen, at this pulpit, if we preach anything other than Jesus Christ, we're preaching the wrong thing. And I remind you tonight, we ought to be glad that this is a place where Jesus is lifted up in a society that is pagan, a society that's going away from God, a world that wants nothing to do with God. I want to tell you tonight, let's be glad as we go to the house of God, we can find a place here of comfort and respite and peace in the midst of, of a society that's filled with so many tragedies. I don't know about you, but my heart is just grieving tonight over all these, these mass shootings that are going on, active shooting incidents, I mean, three within seven days there, and, and all the instances going on with that. Our hearts are grieving. May I say to you tonight, that's where the church comes in. Amen? That's where the church needs to come in. That's where we need to get into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that the God's house may be filled. The solution is not more laws and the solution is not banning guns and the solution is not more mental health services and the solution is not more medication dope people up. The solution is people need to get saved and get Jesus Christ in their heart and get transformed. You say, why, Pastor? Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I'm going to tell you tonight, church, we're losing the battle. We're losing ground. If we're not winning souls, we're not advancing the gospel, we're not doing all that we can. Hey, yeah, let's get concerned about overseas and foreign soil, but we better be concerned about this soil and about this country because this country needs Jesus Christ more than ever before. Let's be glad because when we come to the house of God, people have an opportunity to bring their friends and their relatives to hear the gospel. Let's go to the house of the Lord because this is the place when baptism occurs. That's the first step of obedience in a new believer. That's the sign this person, there's some growth happening in their lives and they want to do something for the Lord there. Let's go to the house of God. The house of God is a place of ministry, not a place of mourning. The house of God is a place of edification, not a place for tearing down. The house of God is a place where things need to be alive and not a place where things are dead. When it's time to go to church, rejoice and be glad. Be like David. Say, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad 
glad when they sent me children. When mom and dad said, we're getting up, we're going to church, say with them, I was glad when mom and dad said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Husbands, when you're in bed and you've turned over for the 10th time in bed, your wife is dressed and ready to go to church, and she says, let's go to the house of God, you need to say, I was glad when my wife said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Ladies, when you're standing in front of that mirror, you're putting on all that makeup, and you're getting all pretty, prettied up and ready for church, your husband says, let's go to the house of God, you get pretty and readied up, but let's go to the house of God, amen? Listen, you, you kids who ride on a bus or van, the van driver honks that horn, he says, hey, it's time to go to the house of God, you need to get out of that house, not with a long face, and get in that car and say, I was glad when they said to me, go to the house of the Lord. When our van drivers go and pick you up on Friday nights to come to club meetings here for teenagers and college students, or they send out a car, when they say, they honk that horn, they're saying to you, hey, let, it's time to go to the house of God, you need to say, let us go to the house of the Lord. Don't get to the place where you get used to church, and church is the same old thing, and that's something, I wonder what he's going to say tonight, and I wonder what they're going to sing tonight. It doesn't matter what they sing, and it doesn't matter what happens preaching. If the book is open, and the Spirit of God is here, it's just say tonight, I'm glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. The house of God's a place of rejoicing. Secondly, would you notice verse 2? The house of the Lord is a place where we're rooted. Would you notice what David said here? Our feet shall stand. Take a stand. Having done all to stand. He said, our feet shall stand within thy gates. I like that. You're not in church if you're outside of it. You're in church when you're inside of it. Amen? Our feet shall stand within the gates, O Jerusalem. He's talking about here about being rooted. He's talking about here having stability. In Psalms 23, 6, David knew something about this because David wrote this psalm. He knew something about, uh, about being rooted. Listen to what David said in Psalms 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Later on, he said again in Psalms 27, 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Do you get this tonight? David said, I don't even want to go to the house of God. I'd just soon live in the house of God. I'll dwell there. I'll get my roots in there. He didn't say it's going to be a homeless camp. I'm going to just help you with that tonight, amen? He said, I'm going to dwell there. I build my life around the house of God. I build my convictions from the house of God. My worship, my public worship is at the house of God. But worship is not sitting in front of an internet site and not, it's not in front of a TV set watching Charles Stanley or some other yahoo there. Hey, it's getting in front of the Word of God and having it live where the Word of God is being preached to you. And listen, we celebrate and worship God through the preaching of God's Word. Amen? And so David's saying here, we, he says, listen, I want to dwell in the house of God. Hey, listen, later on, he said this in Psalms 92 verse 13. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. David is speaking about being rooted in the house of the Lord. Now, I'm going to give you some things tonight that you might think about about being rooted in. Number one, we ought to be rooted in our submission. Submission is learning to follow. Submission is realizing that we are being obedient to the Lord. And submission, I would encourage you tonight, maybe for some of you who are not members this evening, the first step in obedience, the first step in submission is following the Lord in scriptural baptism. Getting baptized and celebrating the fact that you're identifying with Jesus Christ as death, burial, and resurrection. And celebrating the fact that symbolically you're telling your brothers and sisters in Christ at the local New Testament church that you're not ashamed of Jesus and that you love Christ and you love what God's doing here. It's also telling those brothers and sisters in Christ and the pastor of the church that you understand what the doctrines of the church are and you agree with those doctrines and you coincide with those doctrines and you're not going to conflict with those doctrines. And being baptized shows your identification with those things. As a church member tonight, I want to encourage you as a church member in our busy society, in our busy schedules, to practice what we've always practiced in independent Baptist churches. We call it three to thrive. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Say it with me tonight. Three to thrive. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Say it again with me. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Why? Because someone came up with the idea that if you get to church three times a week, it just keeps the devil at bay a little bit there. Just helps you to walk a little bit closer to God. Listen, we have Wednesday night service, and it's tough. We get to that middle of the week, and people are tired. They're coming out of meetings. They're coming out of this thing, the other. They fought Bay Area traffic. How many understand? Bay Area traffic is a bear, amen? But get to church. We get our souls refreshed. And I'm going to tell you tonight what's going on in Christianity as a whole. There's one of two things happening with churches that used to have or have midweek services. Number one, their church is stopping their midweek services. 
because you're being reactive to the scheduling of the people. The people are saying, it's too hard, it's too this, it's too that, it's too this, it's too that. Understand that. But they're cutting back, they're either closing up, or the second reaction is they're basically, they're cutting back and they're accommodating everything. And I understand, we got to get the kids to school and all that. I understand, we need to, be, we need to accommodate that there. But we're at this place right now where we're letting, the, we're letting scheduling affect our attitude and our heart. Hey, listen, I'll tell you tonight, if persecution came and, and things got pretty rough, you'd be very glad you had church. Amen? I'm just saying tonight, we must, we, the first step in being rooted is our submission. But notice, secondly, the second step in being rooted is in our service. Get involved. Get involved in soul winning. This week, this week, find out what your spiritual gift is. Now, I'm thankful if you've got some secular talent. We've got a lot of people with secular talent. Our church is not, not lacking for talent, and God's bringing a lot more talent to the church. I'm excited about the new folks coming in and getting involved in the church. But I want to tell you something. A healthy church is not built on natural talent. A healthy church is built on spiritual gifts. You need to use your gift for the glory of God. You're not to tout your gift. Don't come in and tell me all the good things you're doing. Most men will proclaim everyone his goodness, but a faithful man who shall find, the Bible says. I'm just saying tonight, we must understand. We must, we must uh, root ourselves in service. Let me read you something tonight. Haggai 1.14. In Haggai, we find that in the, the, the first wave of people went into the, into the city of Jerusalem, and they, start, they laid the foundation, but the temple of God wasn't being built. And God had to speak through Haggai, the prophet, and he told these people, he said, hey, hey, hey. He said, listen. He said, why are you dwelling your sealed houses? And the house of God is not built. And so God stirred the hearts of these people. And look what happens in Haggai 1.14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Josh, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came, notice this, and they did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Hey, listen, get involved with serving the Lord. Serve Jesus. Get involved. Do something for the Lord. Roll up your sleeves. Serve God. Hey, I'm thankful this year we had a large, large number of people helping at Kiskin. It was so exciting to see so many mothers helping and so many take, people taking days off during the week. It was exciting two weeks ago or three weeks ago when we did that, the Bible, the, the John's and Romans Assembly saying hundreds of our people here on Wednesday night and then coming back Thursday, some that came Friday and some that missed the message on Saturday still came and showed up and wanted to help do something for the Lord. I'm saying tonight, you ought to have, there's a joy in serving Jesus. Get involved in serving the Lord. So the first step is our, we must be rooted in our submission. The second step, we must be rooted in our service. But notice thirdly, we must be rooted in our standards. Now write this down because I don't know if this is in your notes tonight. A standard is how we live out a biblical conviction. A standard is how we live out a biblical conviction. How do you get a biblical conviction? Well, let me go on. A standard is a predetermined rule of conduct. Now we start off, first of all, we read the Bible. We get a principle from the Bible, a precept or command from the Bible. We develop a conviction about what the Bible says. And from that conviction, we establish a standard. That's how we live it out, okay? Standards are not to be something man-made that's outside the Word of God. Every standard must find its premise. It must find its foundation, its rooting in a biblical conviction, a, bibli a Bible verse and a conviction, okay? So it starts off first, we read the Bible and find out what the Bible says. Then secondly, from there, we develop a conviction. About it. By the way, a conviction is a non-negotiable position. It's something that you'd even die for. Not something that you change your mind about. For instance, I believe the church is the church of the living God. I believe the church, I believe the church is a place where to worship God. That's non-negotiable. I believe the Bible is the word of God from, 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 from Genesis to Revelation. The concordance is not the word of God. The cover is not the word of God. But from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end, that's the word of God, okay? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished in all good works. I have a conviction. This book doesn't become the Word of God. This book is the Word of God. I have a conviction tonight that this book changes lives. I have a conviction tonight that Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, paid for all of our sins. Jesus tasted death for every man, not some men. I believe I have a conviction about the fact that we have an unlimited atonement, not a limited atonement. Jesus died for every sinner. I have a conviction tonight that every man is a sinner. And listen, you need to share that same conviction tonight. I have a conviction tonight when God says love not the world, he means love not the world. So let me give you some things tonight, since I have a captive audience. Amen? Let's have standards concerning modesty of dress. Your dress, your attire should be godly, modest, and gender-specific. 
Is that an issue? You haven't been outside long if, you, if you're asking me if that's the issue. It needs to be modest. It needs to be godly. It needs to be gender specific. Okay? Now, a lot of you, now listen, I'm going to talk about weddings for a minute here. Before you choose your wedding dresses, ladies, you need to come to me and Mrs. Fong and ask, what is modest? What is godly? So it doesn't matter. It does matter because the standards of this world do not match up with the standards of the Bible. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? Okay. There's a certain place for hemlines. You say, well, pastor, you're, you're being a little bit, uh, you're, 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 you're telling, no, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Read, read 1 Timothy 2.9. The word modest means a long-flowing, modest attire means a long-flowing attire. That's what it says. That's what it means there in 1 Timothy 2.9. I mean, God's word doesn't make any mistakes on that. I'm just saying tonight, and I'm talking about men tonight. Man, listen, look like a man, amen? amen. Walk like a man. Amen. Dress like a man. Look like a Christian man. God, ladies, I mean, be a Christian lady in what you're doing. I mean, represent Jesus Christ. I'm just saying tonight, we must have standards of modesty of dress. But notice, secondly, we must standards for moral and personal purity. We must have standards for moral and personal purity. And I'm going to tell you tonight, listen, if you haven't figured it out, Tim, if you don't know yourself, your susceptibility to temptation is very, very great. If you say you can deal with it, that's what Samson said, and he messed up. And that's what David said, and he messed up. Okay? This is what David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Now, as I consider our society, there's a lot of wicked things out there, Amen. So we just need to be considered tonight. We must have standards for moral and personal purity. Hey, let's have standards that, that, that obey God's word and do not allow a sinful society to set our guidelines. Now be very careful tonight. Very, very careful because we spend a majority of our time during the workday or in the school day out in the secular world. And the world is shifting farther and farther away from God. And the farther away it goes, you're going to find that you're, you're going to be asked to adapt yourself to the standards of the world, not the standards of Jesus Christ. You've got to get back in the word of God and ask yourself the question, what does God require of me? If you're, going to, if you're going to love God, you must ask yourself the question, what does God require of me? And you need to be a obedient Christian. Now, don't put, your, don't put your conviction on somebody else. Tell them to live it out for you. You just get them to the Bible. If you get them to the Bible, they'll read it. And the Holy Spirit of God is our teacher. Amen? Okay? As our teacher, he'll show us what we're supposed to do. And you just do what God tells you to do. And every now and then, the pastor will have to get up. Or the, maybe a special spirit will get up. And they'll say something about that. And you should say, Lord, thank you for loving me enough that you told me that. So I can learn how to live my life. And we need to have standards about God's word. And do not let the society set the gun. Hey, how many of you figured out the bar is here with the Bible. But the world is lowering the bar like this. Okay, it's lowering the bar. And we have to understand, we've got to get it back. If God never lowered the bar, we've got to get to where the bar is. Hey, another thing here. Let's have standards about church attendance. Amen. Okay? Let's have standards about church attendance. Don't, now listen tonight, okay? We have a tendency, I mean, all of us, we have a tendency to let a lack of organization and urgencies and all these other things to crowd out, crowd our time. And we don't have time for God. We have time for corporate worship there. I'm just tell you what. The people that I know that are in church and love God's word and get to church and try to serve God and they get beyond just once, once a week, there's just something about their Christian life. They're a little bit stronger than those who don't, okay? And I'm not, I'm not trying to be demeaning to anybody or be insulting. I'm just saying tonight we must get to that. Now, I want you to see an important, important example here. Go with me to 2 Chronicles 27. Is that in your notes tonight, 2 Chronicles 27? I want you to see a good example tonight of this, okay? 2 Chronicles 27, verse 1 and 2, we see a king by the name of Jotham. Now, Jotham's father was King Uzziah. Remember King Uzziah? He had a reign of 52 years, and, but in the latter part of his, of his reign, he got proud. The Bible says his heart was lifted up, and he tried to usurp the authority of the man of God. And when he did so, God struck him with leprosy. And he had to live in a leper's house for the rest of his life. That's pretty bad. He had a son by the name of Jotham. Jotham watched this all unfold. Hey, listen to me. Don't miss this tonight. Don't go to sleep now. This is all unfolding in Jotham's life. Look what we read in 2 Chronicles 27, verse 1 and 2. Jotham was 25 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. Now notice verse 2. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah did. That's good, is it not? Is that good? He did that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Now that's good. When you do right, you want to do right in the sight of the Lord according to what his father. Now, his father did a lot of good things except for that one practice when he got proud and, and his pride got a hold of him and, and he said, you know what? I'm going to just tell the high priest Azariah, step aside, dude, because I'm going to do the offerings here. And that's not how it worked out. But we see 
something that's a little bothersome. Would you notice the rest of that verse about Jotham? Are you there? How be it? He entered not into the temple of the Lord. Did you see that? For 16 years, he did not go to church. He entered not into the temple of the Lord. And notice this, and the people did yet corruptly. You know what he was doing there? Two things is going on with this guy. Number one, he made a decision. I'm not going to church. I can live my life the way I want to live or the way I should live, and I don't need to go to church. Number two, the people saw that, and the people did yet corruptly. Everything rises and falls on leadership. People choose the lowest form of leadership when they make a decision. Watch this now, okay? Now, 16 years goes by. Jotham, I want you to write this down. He was a father and a king. His example did not encourage the people to live for God. They didn't care that he lived right before God. The fact that he wasn't in church, he wasn't in the temple, that means he didn't observe the, the ceremonies and the sacrifices. He wasn't there for the Passover. He didn't encourage the people to assemble at Pentecost. He didn't, he didn't encourage people to assemble for the Feast of Tabernacles. All these things that went on. He didn't participate in the daily sin offerings. He wasn't there for the daily burnt offering. You know what I'm talking about there. You read that book of Leviticus. He wasn't there for that. And so the people said, well, you know what? If the leader doesn't care, why should we care? Except there's something else. It wasn't just the people that was watching him. He had a son by the name of Ahaz. Go to chapter 28. 16 years goes by. Verse 1, 2 Chronicles 28. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. So when his father came to the throne, how old was Ahaz? About four years old. Right? He reigned 16 years. He's 20 now. He sends to the throne. Daddy passed away at an early death. What a reason. He's gone. Ahaz is 20. In chapter 28, verse 1, Ahaz is 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned, he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. But he did that not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. Now I don't have time to tell you this. But Ahaz was one of the worst kings Israel uh, Judah ever had. He took his children and sacrificed them in the fire to the gods of Hinnom. He, he erected altars everywhere. He was an idol worshiper to the T. He went way farther than any of his predecessors. And to top all that up, he's the one that brought pig sacrifices into the house of God. Pigs, with pigs at that, that time were, were considered uh, uh, defiled, defiled animals and unclean animals. He brought pig blood and sacrificed pig blood, and somebody else did that later on, inside the house of God. He defiled the house of God. We read about that later on. And he's the one that closed up the doors of the house of God. Read it later on. He's the one that closed the house of God. And it wasn't until his son came along, Hezekiah, that Hezekiah cleaned up all that junk and reopened the house of God. You know what Ahaz was saying? I watched my dad for 16 years. Daddy didn't care about church. Daddy didn't want to go to church. Daddy spoke ill will about church. Daddy didn't care about the things of God. He didn't have a conviction about church. So daddy, he says, well, if that's how my daddy felt about it, I don't really care about it either. I'm just going to go on and go beyond what my daddy did. And he defiled the house of God. He went from there and he closed up the house of God. Let me tell you tonight, little eyes are watching what you do. Her church is a place where rooted. We need to be like Paul having done all to stand. Listen, church is a place where we rejoice, and church is a place we're rooted very quickly. Notice, church is a place where, is the place of our reach. Would you notice verse 3? Jerusalem is builded as a city. I like building, amen? I like building things. I was walking the hallways this morning before Sunday school, and adult growth group started Brother Tick was walking a visitor that first time to our church and found out that uh, from his background, he's from a, a, good, a church from a good friend of ours overseas, and he was get, showing the man the church. And I said, what are you doing, Brother Tick? He said, Pastor, I'm, I'm telling you about the church history. I'm telling you about what God did. And I said, go ahead, brother. That's a good thing. He's telling, listen, Brother Tick, tell the man. He said, I want to tell you how God raised the money for this. I'm going to tell you what these building, these building was built for and what God is doing. Hey, listen, church, we got, we got God. There was a time we didn't have enough space to grow. Now we've got space to grow. And then some. 
Buildings are designed for growth. Buildings are designed to bring more people in. I don't know about you, I like to see buildings filled. I like to see our church filled. I like to see our rooms filled. Listen, we're building the church one soul at a time. We have buildings designed for growth. Listen to what Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Acts 1 8 tells us our reach as a church. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the innermost parts of the earth. God wants us to realize we have a reach that's local and global. Our local, national, and global. God wants to understand our reach is reaching souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight. Notice what 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 5 and 8 says, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that your examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out or echoed out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith in, to God were, is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything to you. You know what he's saying there? Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica. That was the second church on his second missionary tour. He left Philippi and went to Thessalonica. He labored there for three Sabbath days. And then God gave him a breakthrough as he preached the word of God and told him about Jesus Christ. And souls started to get saved. And people were, and then he started the church and people were added there. He says, listen, I commend you, church, that you heard the word of God and you followed us and you followed the Lord. He says, now you're at a place where you got, you got it. And listen, so many he's caught more than is taught. And he says, you got it. And with that, with what you got in your heart, now you're spreading the gospel out. And from he was echoing out the gospel throughout all of Macedonia and Achaia. You're setting a good example of being a soul winning and a model church there. And listen, every church, God's design for every church is that it's to be an aggressive soul winning church. I want to encourage you, church. Let's get involved with soul winning. Up your involvement. Carve out the time. Even if it's only one hour on Saturday to come to organize soul winning, do that. Or sometime other than the week. But get involved with soul winning. And decide tonight. Don't vacillate. Decide tonight. You're going to come on August 17th. Saturday, August 17th team to our soul winning rally and that you're going to sign up to get involved during the fall and we're going to partner you up with somebody that's experienced and send you to an area with groups of people. We're going to, we're going to put tracks at the doors and knock on doors and you get to watch us present the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking about one of our brothers here tonight that I've been training for the last year or so and we go out maybe once a week, once every two weeks and we go out together and, and, and I'm going to tell you something that's very interesting. Every time we've gone out and we've knocked on doors, we've hit about 40, 50 doors, maybe 100 doors sometimes, we'll get out and hit those doors. It's amazing. Every time we've gone out, God's used our little faith, and God's always brought somebody to church from every one of those visits. Amen. His faith has increased. He's seen people saved. He's watched what God has done there. I'm just saying tonight, we need to be involved in this matter of the reach of the church. Every Christian needs a heart for winning souls to Jesus. A pastor had a cardiovascular surgeon in his church very famous cardiovascular surgeon. The pastor asked his man, he said, sir, he said, doctor, do you mind if I could ever get the opportunity, I could go into the surgical room and watch you do a heart operation? Surgeon said, well, you know, there's a lot of protocols I've got to clear. And I said, let me see what I can do. Because this man had a good name, he was a good surgeon, he promised to take very good care that the, that the preacher would be, uh, be well suited up and sanitized before he went in. He got permission for this man to get in. And he gave the pastor instructions. He said, now, pastor, when you come in, you're going to have to stand a certain place, and I'll make sure you can see everything on the monitors and things, but you're going to have to stand a certain place, and you're going to have to wash your hands down the same number of times as I did, and you're going to have to scrub yourself down, and you're going to have to put the same kind of scrub clothing we have on. You're going to have to be well sanitized and all that, and you're going to stand there, and we're going to let you watch this whole thing. The pastor said, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. The day the surgery came up, it was a lady that had to have heart surgery, open heart surgery, and and so the, the, uh, the pastor was positioned his place. He had the scrubs on and all that. And the, and the doctor started and he took his scalpel and he cut the, the woman's chest cavity open. He opened her up and started the open heart surgery. And he did all the work that he needed to do. And when he was finished, he looked up at the, he looked up at the, turned around and looked at the doctor, at the, at the pastor and gave him a thumbs up. He said, everything's going good. And the doctor felt very, very well about having done this kind of surgery many times. He said, everything's good. And he gave a thumbs up to the pastor. And so he started to work on her heart again and get everything all put together, reattached the arteries and things like that. And as he did, so he did something he did every time he did a surgery. He started to massage her heart like this. He started to massage her heart a little bit like that to get it pumping again. But he noticed in this particular woman that her heart wasn't pumping. 
And the doctors kept on massaging, and you could tell that as he massaged, there was a little bit of a tensity, intensity inside the surgical room because everybody else there, the anesthesiologists and the, and, the, and the attending nurses and everybody else there, the assistants, they were noticing the doctor was getting a little bit more intense there, and he was muttering under his breath. He said, come on, Mrs. Smith, come on, Mrs. Smith, come on, Mrs. Smith. And he kept on rubbing her heart, rubbing her heart, rubbing her heart, and nothing was going, and they're watching the monitor, and they realized if her heart didn't start beating, that this would be an unsuccessful surgery. That woman was going to die on that surgical table. That surgeon, that surgeon knelt down to that woman's ear and he said, Mrs. Smith, this is your surgeon speaking to you. This is doctor. And he gave his name. He said, ma'am, I have finished the surgery and the surgery went well. But he says, now it's up to you. You've got to tell your heart to start beating. Please tell your heart to, stop beating, to start beating. And immediately after he said that, they watched the monitor. There was a blip on the monitor and her heart started to beat regularly. He took his hands off and her heart was beating well there. And, he, and they started watching her for a few minutes and her heart resumed its regular beat. Hey, listen, tonight, some of us are like that lady. We've been lying still for a long time. It's time for us to tell our heart to start beating for souls once again. The church has a reach. Sign up for a soul winning training class. Learn the art of how to present the plan of salvation. Let someone who's experienced take you out and show you how we get the gospel to people. Get involved. Take some gospel track to every single time you come to church and give them out and tell people about the Lord. Listen, we thank God tonight. The house of God is a place for our rejoicing. The house of God is a place where we're rooted. The house of God is a place of our reach. But notice very quickly tonight, the house of God is a place of revival. Do you notice verse 5? For there are set thrones of judgment. The thrones of the house of David. Would you underline those two words, thrones? There are set thrones of judgment. The thrones of judgment where people came concerning their civil and legal matters. King David or someone he appointed was sent on that throne of judgment to hear the matter out, to make a decision. Judgment implies justice. It implies judicial decisions. Peter said judgment must begin in the house of God. Paul said we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You see, what does this have to do with revival? Look at it again. There are set thrones of judgment. There are thrones in the house of David. We come to church so that we can judge our own sins. Before you go to the Lord's table, this is in accordance with 1 Corinthians 11, before you go to the Lord's table tonight, you must judge yourself. Lest God judge you. You must judge yourself. You need to be honest with God and honest with yourself. You need to judge your own sins in your heart and determine tonight, I'm not coming to the Lord's table with unconfessed sin in my life. Because to do so, you put yourself at great spiritual risk of God chasing you because of that. And so we come, to, we come to this place of judgment realizing that we live in a world of sin and we have this old flesh and this flesh is susceptible for sin and it's easy for us to sin. That's why Jesus said, watch and pray lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so we must understand tonight, we have, to, we have to evaluate ourselves, and we have to pray the prayer of Psalms 139. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Even right now, we must pray that prayer, and ask God, search me, O God, and know me. Show to me what those sins are. Show me my sins of the Spirit, and maybe sins of the flesh, and show me sins of omission, and sins of commission that I'm guilty of. Lord, forgive me for sins of presumptuous sins, and forgive me for the sins of youth, and forgive me, perhaps I set some wicked things before my eyes or maybe for many of us, forgive me for the sin of pride, sins of speech, sins of unkindness, sins of giving place to the devil, sins of gossip, having spent my week tearing down the church and tearing down the leadership of the church and said, why don't you give thanks to God like the previous verse says, amen? Those thrones of judgment are how we get revival in our hearts. Revival is when we get our hearts stirred for God again. Revival is when we get the fire back in our soul. Revival is when we fall back in love with Jesus and fall back in love with our, with our church and we get back that first love. Revival is when we allow God's word to judge us. I wonder this evening as we come there, judgment, we come to that throne tonight. I'm, I'm going to tell you this evening as we come there, we go there for mercy, amen? 
We come to the throne of judgment for mercy. We want God's mercy. And thank God tonight we have the promise in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many are thankful tonight that we have a God who's faithful and just? Amen. Amen. And we can come there tonight in the, our heart of hearts and secret place where we're sitting tonight and ask God, please evaluate me, Lord, so that my heart is cleansed and my life is right. You see, you can even come to the Lord's table and have revival tonight. Amen? A service like this, you can have revival. Hey, save the church a lot of money. We don't need to fly speakers in all the time to bring revival. You can have revival right now in this church. That's what you can do. Just let go of your pride. Throw your pride on the floor. Get that sin, this, this, this sinful speech and sinful spirit, put it on the floor and say, God, I confess it to you tonight. I tell you, tonight, if we're disgruntled and happy, you need revival. If you're not winning souls, you need revival. If your prayer life is flickering, I'm almost about to go out, you need revival. If you're feeling like quitting, you need revival. If you're living in the spirit of discouragement all your life, listen, you need revival tonight. And church is a place where we get revival. Finally, tonight, would you notice this last thing? The house of God, the house of the Lord is a place of rejoicing. And the house of the Lord is the place where we're rooted. The house of the Lord is the place of our reach. The house of the Lord is a place of revival, but you notice we close tonight, verses 6 to 9, 6 to 8, but you notice the house of the Lord is a place of our relationships. David said this, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Now, he's talking about the importance and priority of peace, harmony, and unity among the brethren. That's what he's talking about there. He's talking about peace, harmony, and unity. So let me give you some thoughts tonight. Number one, write this down. Promote the relationships inside of the church. Promote the relationships inside the church. This is what Paul said to a church that was in a very divisive state. He told the church at Philippi, If there be therefore any consolations in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. That's a healthy church. Verse 3 said, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Now listen, don't, don't politic. Don't live in a spirit that's combative or, comp or competitive. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, he said. But in loneliness of mind, humble ourselves before one another. In loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. That's a good spirit to have when you come to church, amen? Don't come in the spirit like saying, well, who do you think you are? Or I'm better than you. No, let each esteem others better than himself. That's, that's biblical Christianity. Look not every man in his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Pretty quiet right now, but I'm just saying tonight, we need to promote the interests of the relationships inside the church. Number two, number two, pray for the relationships inside of the church. James 5.16, would you turn there? In fact, I want, don't read your notes. Go to your, go to your Bible and turn to the James 5.16. Because I want you to underline some words tonight. Pray for the relationships within the church. <clears throat> you say, Pastor, I, I thought we have a loving church. We do have a loving church. But we're people. <laughs> It's like I said this morning, that if you're going to love like Jesus, if you, if you really want to love like Jesus, you've got to love the unlovable. You'll love people that hate you. You'll love people that do you wrong. And so this, this is what James said. Are you there? Say amen. amen. Confess your faults one to another. And let me tell you what that's not saying. That's not saying, hey, Brother Tony, can I have a time with you? I'm going to tell you about all my sins. That's not what she's talking about there. He's not saying, Pastor AJ, uh, uh, Pastor AJ, uh, I'm a teenager. I want to tell you all my sins. That's not what he's telling you there. Number one, I'm not the confessional. Number two, the confessional is not biblical. We met. There's only one confession. That's between you and God. What's he saying there? Okay. Well, you go back to the context of the book of James. The brethren he's, he's writing to, they're having people problems. There's partiality. There's cliques. There's uh, preferential, preferential treatment. They were talking down on each other. I mean, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and, and to 5. I mean, rich, I mean there, there were people problems in the church. 
They were divided. There was strife. Okay? What's he talking about there? Confess to each other that you've been hurting each other. Confess to each other. Listen, so in other words, if I've been hurting Brother, brother Anthony here, to go to brother, brother Anthony, I have to confess to you. I've, been, I've had a bad spirit towards you. I'm sorry, brother. Or to go to Brother Eugene. Brother Eugene, I'm sorry. I said some bad things about you. I just want you to know I, I, I did say those things, and I'm sorry about that. Or, or go to, over here to Brother Art and say, Brother Art, I've had a bad spirit towards you, Brother Art, and, and you know I've had a bad spirit, and you've had a bad spirit towards me, but it doesn't matter about you. What matters is me. I'm wrong. I want to get right with you. That's what he's talking about there. Now, you're not going to have revival. This church is not going to have revival unless we have that kind of spirit. He says, well, why do we need to do that? Look at the next phrase. Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. He's not talking. This has been interpreted incorrectly for many years by Protestant commentators. The healing there is not talking about physical healing. The healing there is talking about spiritual healing because this church, the believers he's praying to there were spiritually sick. They were sick in sin. They were sick in having hypocrisies and partialities, and they had these preferential differences. They were unkind to one another. There was bitter. I mean, read it through it. I mean, he says, you, you fight in war amongst each other. That church was sick. He said, you need to confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Listen, tonight, if you've got bitterness, you need to be healed. You've got a divisive tongue, and you're, hurting. you're saying nasty things about people, and people are saying nasty things about you. You need to get healing from God. That's why Psalms 103 talks about we, we thank God who heals all our diseases. He's talking about spiritual diseases there. And he says this, this is, Lord, says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so number one, we need to promote the relationships inside the church. And number two, we need to pray for the relationships inside the church. Number three, we need, notice the promise for the relationships inside the church. We'll go back to Psalms 122 and look at verse six. We're almost done. Look what he says here. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, we need to pray for Jerusalem. We need to pray for Israel. You ought to pray for that. That's, that's Bible right now. Amen? Amen. You pray for, that, pray, pray for that country. Don't have an anti-Semitic attitude. God loves the Jewish people. Yes, we need to love them too. Amen. But I also want you to realize tonight, we need to pray for the church. We need to pray for the peace in the church. And he says here in verse 6, they shall prosper that love thee. Now, I thought and prayed over that. What does he mean, they shall prosper that love thee? Now, you need to write some things down because this will help our church, okay? What does he mean by that? Well, how does the church prosper when there's unity and peace? And let me give you some things tonight. And write down the reference. I don't have time to read it. Write down Acts chapter 4, verses 31 to 33. Write that in the margin there, Acts chapter 4, verses 31 to 33. Here's what God gives us. Number one, God gives us great boldness when we have that kind of unity and peace. God gives us great power when we have that kind of unity and peace. Hey, Pastor AJ, Brother Irwin, if we got divisiveness in our teenagers, divisiveness in our college department, right there. Lead them in prayer to pray for peace, because that's how we get great boldness and great power. Okay? If our growth groups have issues there, and our Chinese department, Spanish department, have problems, we need to lead them right there. God gives us great boldness and great power. By the way, God gives us great grace. And by the way, as you read that chapter, it says this in verse 32. It says in Acts 4.32, And the multitude of them that believed... God gives great faith. You can't exercise great faith. Hey, we're not ready for a building program if we're not doing what he's saying here in verse 6. We're not ready for the next level expansion. We're not doing it because you know what? We're not prepared for God to give us great boldness and great power and great faith. And by the way, great grace. And then he says something else. God gave them great growth because we read later on chapter 5 that the church started to multiply because of that. God added many numbers to that. I'm done. David said, I was glad when they sent unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I love God's house. Do you? I love God's house. I love God's people. It's a place of rejoicing. It's a place where we're rooted. It's a place for our reach. A place for revival. And it's the place of our relationships. Well, I don't like the people in the church. Get with it. You're in the church. They don't need to change. You need to change. Get the love of Christ in your heart. 